You're listening to Agile Ideas, the podcast, hosted by Fatima Rabucci. For anyone listening out there not having a good day, please know there is help out there. Hi, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of Agile Ideas. I'm Fatima, CEO at Agile Management Office, Mental Health Ambassador, and your host. This podcast is sponsored by Agile Management Office, providing high-impact delivery execution in an agile era for scaling businesses. On today's episode, I have the lovely Leanne Elich. Leanne's passion for medicine and patient care sparked at age five when she was given the game Operation as a gift and would recruit friends and family as her patients. Her ambition to enter the medical industry accelerated her through high school and led her to graduate from the University of Sydney with a Bachelor of Science in Medical Radiation Sciences, specialising in radiation oncology. She immediately started working at the Prince of Wales Hospital and in just a few years was offered a specialist oncology role. She also became part of the pioneering stereotactic brain radiosurgery team treating both malignant and benign brain tumours. Motivated to take her career to the next level and continue making an impact within the industry, Leanne expanded her oncology skills further at the Liverpool Cancer Therapy Centre. There, she led a team of healthcare professionals specialising in brachytherapy and radioactive implants. Leanne then transitioned into oncology and medical research where she worked for several high-profile companies and expanded into various business departments, including technical sales, operations, commercial investment, advocacy, and stakeholder relationships. Being an experienced oncology advocate, medical technology, and global healthcare specialist with over 25 years of experience in both the clinical and corporate environments, Leanne was ready to embark on the next phase of her career, where in 2018, she launched Leanne Alich Consulting on a mission to transform individuals and businesses in the medical technology industry through influential high-impact strategies and innovative practices to drive corporate transformations, sales synergies, and business growth. As an industry expert and experienced sales practitioner, Leanne helped her clients overcome the challenges of resource deficiencies and disruptive processes to create innovative and operational excellence in an ever-changing market. You can find Leanne at linkedin.com forward slash in forward slash Leanne. That's L-E-A-N-N-E hyphen E-L-I-C-H. You can also find her on LinkedIn company as Leanne hyphen E-L-I-C-H hyphen consulting. That's Leanne Alich Consulting. You can find her on Facebook. So facebook.com forward slash Leanne Alich Consulting. Or you can also go to www.leannealichconsulting.com. That's L-E-A-N-N-E-L-I-C-H consulting.com. Now, please welcome my guest, Leanne Alich, to Agile Ideas Podcast. Leanne, welcome to the show. Thanks, Fatima. I'm very excited to be here and thank you for inviting me on. You're very welcome. I am um, a little bit selfish today because we talk regularly, as as um, you know, you you know. And I I'm usually the one answering questions today. I get to ask pretty much all the things that I would have liked to ask in previous conversations that we've had. But we'll get into that. Um, I've sort of given a little bit of a background about yourself. But why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your journey and and um, and where you are today? 
Sure. Yeah. Um, I know it is. It's a, it's a total 180, isn't it? It's really, uh, it's really strange, but actually it's, you, you deserve to be able to ask me questions anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> I will plenty. It's your turn. It's your turn. Yeah. Um, so about me, I'm, I've got uh, an unusual skill set. So my background is in medicine. Um, in oncology and uh, specializing in, in pediatric oncology. So from newborns to, to 18 years, uh, a long, long time ago, I worked at Prince of Wales, which was connected to the Children's Hospital. And I did that. I absolutely loved it. Loved working with the children, loved working with the entire family and support groups as well. Um, I also uh, treated adults but at Prince of Wales, it was mainly dedicated to, to the kiddies. I then moved to Liverpool Cancer Centre as Deputy Director, where I just had adults as patients and did a lot of brachytherapy work. So internal um, brachytherapy, sort of internal radiotherapy. So implanting radioactive seeds to treat localised cancer and a lot of uh, sort of specialty treatments that a lot of areas within New South Wales in particular, but also in Australia, you know, they weren't really taking on these kinds of technologies. So I was quite privileged to be able to work there also. But then I found um, I was getting a little bit frustrated because I always wanted the best for my patients, always wanted to be able to provide the best service and the best care. And I'm a, a big researcher. I love uh, researching new technology, seeing what's happening in the industry. You know, I consider myself, you know, as a, a bit of a, you know, industry leader in, in certain aspects. And I was getting frustrated because I was only as good as the tools that I had available to me at the hospital. And that's no one's fault. That's just the way it is. You know, it's, it's you know, government funding. You can only get so much. You can't get everything. Um, but I got an, I had an opportunity to join a medical devices company uh, as a clinician and as someone with that medical and scientific background to then implement new technologies and be at the forefront of sort of that, the, the medical field. And I jumped at the opportunity because it gave me access to everything. So I was able to put my fingers in all sorts of pies, get access to different tools and equipment. Um, my network exploded sort of globally. So from a reputational point of view and a networking point of view, that was fantastic. And to this day, I've you know, benefited from that and still have great relationships globally. And, um, and then I ended up working for, 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 this, for this distributor for a long, long time, nearly 16 years. And I remained in the commercial, medical, commercial and corporate industry ever since. And uh, did a lot of work with, yeah, implementing, teaching, a lot of lecturing at universities of, you know, new equipment that the students will see in the future. So when they go out on PRAC, when they're an intern, a registrar, they're going to hear mumblings of this technology. And then in years to come, they will actually be able to get their hands on it. So being able to prepare them for that. And because I am in the industry and have the mindset of, you know, helping others. And that, that's how I've been brought up in, in my career. And that's why I stepped into that role. Um, it, it dawned on me quite a while ago to, to do consultancy. 
and but not just from a medical perspective but from a medical business perspective so being able to engage in med tech biotech health tech businesses and help them engage with consumers and ultimately patients and make sure that their products are getting to the right people and to the right consumers or patients that need it and looking at different customer segmentation and working with sales did uh, sales teams strategy teams operations and preparing people and developing developing them to um, have the skills sorry that's my printer that's calibrating okay. at the moment <laughs> just decides to calibrate mine yeah. <laughs> Mine might do the same thing. <laughs> yeah. um, and just, uh, you know, identifying skills gaps. So identifying areas where they are able to, especially in a sales um, situation where it can be quite daunting and it can be, you need to have confidence, you need to have persistence and you need to have certain skills to be able to, you know, engage with people in a certain way. You know, selling is a, a behaviour. It's it's not just something that you go and go and do as, as a job. We're, we're human. We, we're emotional. We make decisions based on psychology and emotion. And it's really important, especially from in a, in a medical field, to have that trust and have that engagement with your customers on that level. And quite often that's lacking, not, not be, because it, it just, it's just there's so much and so much pressure in a, in a sales environment that it's, it's really important to get the sale and we forget about who we're dealing with and how to deal from a behavioural level. And so now my, my business exp has expanded into, into that realm and into that psychology-based driven sales mm -hmm. and, um, and business strategy, which is fantastic. So uh, there's so much to um, sort of unpack in that. And I, and I know from reading your bio that you've been, you sort of had a passion for medicine um, and that sort of field from, from a really early age. So you always knew you wanted to do something in healthcare. Um, how did you go from, you know, thinking about it to actually starting in that space? Like, did you know you always wanted to be in radiation oncology or did you kind of decide, like, how, how did you decide to go down that path? Um, that's a really good question. Um, and my, I have to blame my mum, but not blame. Yeah. <laughs> she, well, she, look, she, you know what mums are like. Mums know what you like and know what, you know, how, you know, what's best for you. Yeah. So yeah, when I was about five, I got given a, a game operation I, i'm not sure if you but yeah love it uh, still around <laughs> i don't actually know but it's basically a, a game of a and it's a person on a board and they have holes in the board of different areas where organs should be situated yes and around the edge it buzzes if you hit the edge so it's like performing surgery but <laughs> it's a board game yeah and I used to get really really cranky when someone couldn't place the liver in the liver slot and and it would, <laughs> and it would buzz because for me it was like well you know if, if you if this was real life you know you're going to hurt someone yeah and so I was fascinated by that um, what I was also fascinated at quite a young age and this is probably my early teens was um forensic pathology so I originally wanted to be a, uh, a a coroner or a criminal pathologist and actually um you know do autopsies and work on um very uh, controversial medical situations and 
I, I love problem solving. So for that, for me, is you've got to come up with a solution. So you've got to come up with a solution for, say, the courts, for the family, for the actual patient, so to speak. And, um, and that's what I wanted to do. And because I really enjoyed talking and communicating and socializing with people, mum turned it around and said, I think you might be better. I think you might be more suited, actually, is probably the better word, to someone that can have a, you know, can have a conversation, can reciprocate, you know, a, a language. And I got really upset. And I said to mum, well, it's, you know, it's, it's still really important for someone who has passed away in, you know, controversial circumstances. There needs to be a solution. People need closure. You know, it's not fair for this person. And, you know, I, I think that's really, really important. And mum said, but you can do the same with people that are still alive. And the way, reason why I got into oncology is because, Oncology and, and cancer is an absolute devastating industry, as with a lot of medical industries. And it was something that unfortunately, even at a young age, I knew wouldn't would be here for a long time. I didn't even think in my very immature mind back then, I didn't think that they, we would find a cure soon. And I thought this is something that affects a lot of people. I had no idea that the statistics would be as they are now. Um, not in a million years, I thought it would be a lot, but I mean, we've got more technology to detect and diagnose now as well, which is great. But, you know, the statistics obviously have, you know, exponentially expanded, but that makes me even more, um, you know, humble to be in, in this field. So, going into oncology was because I'm able to help people long-term, have that long-term relationship, long-term rapport with patients and be part of their journey of getting better and be part. And in a sense, it is slightly sales because you need the buy-in from the patient to mm. trust you to be able to, you know, do the procedure or uh, help them make a decision without swaying them one way or the other. There is a little bit of art of persuasion because, you know, technically you're the expert mm -hmm. and they're not, and they're looking to you for guidance. So it, there, there is that, that element in it. But for me, it was about providing the absolute optimum care for these people that were very, very sick. Mm -hmm. Wow. I think it's, um, yeah, it's a really, um, it's a really like honorable thing to be working in this space. And especially in that particular field, I think um, there's obviously a lot of uh, good work that you could do, particularly with looking at innovations with technology, which is a place that you, you went into. I'm interested to know when we're thinking about sort of the opportunities that technology can present itself, have you seen a big shift from now compared to last 10 years of innovative technology solutions. I know you did work for a technology company previously. Have you seen that scale significantly in, in op options? Absolutely. Significantly in all parts of medicine and health. Um, it's phenomenal. I mean, even if we even look at genetics, um, you know, it's the way that we are able to sequence and, and, and come up with you know, ways to identify, you know, transferable variations and mutations. Um, that is just phenomenal. But so, it, and, then, and that's sort of the, the building blocks of life is your genetics and your DNA and being able to break it down to that level, that granular level, like microscopic plus level mm -hmm. is just phenomenal. But even in, from what I've seen, I look back at, at some of the ways that I prescribe dose and treated patients 
we wouldn't do that now. Um, but at the time, it was the best that was available and we were able to treat a cancer and we were able to treat a patient safely where now we concentrate on increasing the dose to say the tumor. What, what medicine has become now is more um, management. So where before it was saving someone's life, now we're at a point where the technology in all parts of medicine is, is, has advanced so much. And this is due, due to loads of innovation and, and even, um, even implementation, the way this innovation is then commercialized and then implemented as well. That's really important. Um, that we can manage the disease. So one great thing is that we're, we've got the technology to extend the, the you know the, the prognosis of a patient so that we can increase that so they're you know less likely to pass away from the disease but we can manage it so there's pain management and disease management and that's what a lot of technology has enabled us to do what I have noticed and and this is from my, my business perspective now is since COVID and since the pandemic which we're you know looking at you know, pretty much you know 12 months ago now mm-hmm. we, we we got into a bit of a um, well we all got into a bit of a kerfuffle that's for sure but we did get into a panic mm-hmm. and a lot of these health tech and, and and biotech companies and you know medical devices companies were like what can we do so the innovation if you even look at the innovation curve or innovation graph it's just you know it's it, it's it's exponential plus plus and it's always vertical yeah. and in fact McKinsey has put out an, an article a very good article they published on the digital innovation in the med tech and and the medical field um, of where we are now is actually we we have advanced in 12 months we have advanced three years so if we were still operating the way we were we didn't have any outside influences for instance like the pandemic in particular um, where we are now in what we're doing, we would be in, you know, 2024, but it's now right. 2021 and, and that's where we are. But what's happened is this innovation and these, you know, the, the concept of, um, of, of, of equipment and, and areas of, of medical experience has, has grown so fast that we almost can't manage it. So what's happened is from a business perspective, we've got these great products, we've got the great intent, but what we're finding is these companies don't know what to do next. They've almost grown too quickly. But I hate to say it's not a negative thing. It's fantastic that 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 technology and innovation is there because it's we're only going to benefit from it. But you need then business or, or medical business experts to come in and guide them in what to do next, how to commercialize it, how to get regulatory approval, yeah. what customer segments that you need to, you know, adapt the technology to. And that's really important because there's good stuff happening. Mm, absolutely. I think that's a really, really, really important point. I'm seeing that across a number of different industries that we've been working with that's, you know, outside of the space that you're in at the moment, but businesses are you know working at break speed they're pivoting they're being very agile in their their approaches and they're coming up with all of these crazy ideas that normally there'd be a lot of roadblocks for but they're getting through much much faster even in government which is quite surprising um but you're right now it's a matter of now particularly here in australia because we've sort of slowed down a little bit in in the COVID crisis which has been excellent and it's improved businesses now are going 
oh, crap, now we need to figure out how to sort of sweep up, I guess, the last 12 months or however many months that they've been thinking about these things. So that's some of the stuff that you're doing with your clients at the moment. So I want to I want to kind of ask a two-part question, your views on that. And then also I want to delve into how you go from the space that you were in and, and sort of working in, in, in the oncology space to actually running a consulting business, which is such a big shift, I, I would imagine. So you can answer that however you like. Yeah, yeah, sure. Thanks, Fatima. Um, yeah, so there is. We are sweeping up a lot of um, leftovers, I guess. And, and what we're also sweeping up is 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 what wasn't completed before COVID hit. So we, we you got to remember businesses weren't at a standstill, and then COVID hit, and then they had to go. They, they were they were doing business, and a lot of them extremely successfully. Um, and then all of a sudden, that had to stop, and the business had to pivot and adapt really quickly. And some of what they were doing previously was actually stopped or, or left. So it's sweeping up that that part of the business also. So for me, it's, as I say, putting it into different buckets. So you put it into almost like the pre-COVID bucket and then what can we do with that information and that technology and how can we adjust it to what we're doing now? Mm-hmm. And then you've got the initial you know, oh my gosh, bucket, what's going on? Um, and how, you know, the, what the, the, the pieces that are in that bucket are probably still a little bit um, scrambled because we didn't know what to do. We didn't know how to put the jigsaw puzzle together. Um, and that's sort of been left. And then a couple of months later, people started just realizing, okay, this isn't going away. Mm-hmm. So we need to come up with some strategies and we need to come up with one thing I do with lots of businesses is work not just, you know, short-term strategies and long-term strategies, but I have for a while now been working with incremental strategies as well, especially now with things changing so quickly that you actually do have to have, you know, buffers. You do need to have, you know, safety nets and and um, different strategies, so different versions of the strategies along the way because we need to have the capability to change and sidestep if we need to. So then having the next lot of buckets. So being able to put all that together and slowly, slowly we're emptying those buckets and we're getting back to the way that not, I'm not going to say we're going back to the way that we were, but we're getting back to the original bucket, looking at the pieces and saying, right, that's where we were. Here we are now. How do we move these pieces around to fit with our new strategy or our new business model? Mm. And that's really important. And I really want businesses to understand, and this is something that I've been trying to teach, that nothing's been wasted. Um, we've all been, you know, in a, in a bit of a frightening experience, but use the skill, use the, the areas of expertise and all that knowledge that you have that's still there to then change the way that you're doing things, but still use your jigsaw puzzle pieces just in a different way. Yeah. So it's a great learn. I mean, it, it is frightening, but it's a great learning curve and a great time to learn, mm-hmm. to become a little bit more tolerant. And I believe people are yeah. um, to open networks, to um, open your mind and be less judgmental because you need to to be able to see the bigger picture and and that's how you use all your pieces I think that's a really good way of describing the situation around the buckets and the cleaning up and you said something really important around incremental I think the thing that's been really clear and I think for most companies 
they're starting to see that, but maybe not all, is there's no more three-year, five-year, 10-year plans necessarily. There's, you know, some big sky thinking for down the track, but right now it's about changing, you know, as you said, every couple of months or every month thinking about what's coming up in the next quarter, which is far more important than what it maybe have been in the past where people would just put a five-year plan together and assume, I know we're doing that. And I was you just know about to say that. that that's, <laughs> we are the perfect example um, of exactly what how business has shifted mm-hmm. and the fact that it can be done successfully. Yeah, absolutely. You know, that's, we're the perfect example here. And um, and especially with, you know, your business and, and, and how that's going, how great, you know, you've been able to manoeuvre um, around, you know, challenges, which everybody's ha- has in business, but not everyone's been, and I'm going to use the word agile yeah. Yeah. <laughs> as, 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 you know, as you and, and, and your business has been, and that's, you know, very, very important. And also it shows the mindset that you have, that you're willing to make changes and adapt and sidestep and maybe throw your buckets up in the air and see what comes down and just say, right, I'm now going to reshuffle my pieces. Yeah. And, and and do them differently. No, no pieces are going to be forgotten. They're just going to be moved around. Yeah, exactly. Some yeah. pieces will sit in the backlog for a little bit longer, That's right. um, but others will come to the forefront depending on the need. But um, yeah, 100%. And I think because, you know, we're small businesses, you and I, and, um, and what we're running, our teams are small compared to being in the corporate space and being in big businesses before. So we understand both sides. Um, right. I think that helps us be a lot more nimble and agile in the way we work. Um, I want to circle back. So the question I wanted to know about your transition. So, you know, if I describe it in a different way, you know, you were at the forefront working with patients, you know, out there in the hospitals, doing all the work on the front the front line, if you like. And now um, I appreciate you've probably seen that there's some challenges in that space that can be improved going back to your problem solving. So it seems like now you're going into the back end side of it to help them improve the way they operate with your consulting business. Tell me about that shift from being, you know, front end to back end and, and sort of what made you want to go into your own business? Sure. Yeah, it's almost like a, a front stage and a backstage. And that's quite often how, how I describe it to businesses. Um, you know, you, you, you can't be, you, you, you can't work in the way that you want to work with the tools that you want without having the support, without having the innovation and having the equipment, so to speak, your, the set, the makeup, you know, artist, the costume designer, um, you know, the set director. The show doesn't happen if you haven't got that foundation in the in back, the backstage. And although there isn't, as you know, you're not at the forefront on the front line doing exactly what you just just said. Um, it's really really important in the back end that you've got that foundation, those those fundamentals to set up those that are on the front line. So one thing I do miss not being on the front line is the patient contact because I love my patients and I love working with them. But the transition for me was being able to have access to a lot more technology. And in, I felt that um, I could help more people by having access to different technologies and being being able to implement these technologies in Australasia and then also in Asia Pacific. So I did a lot of work in APAC as well, and also in the US and Europe at a later stage. Um, And even though I wasn't the one that was technically delivering this treatment, I was able to create an environment and create a, um, 
what can I say? A, yeah, an environment and a way or a, a method for people to get access to the, the, this technology that they never ever would have had access before to then be able to deliver it themselves. So for me, I'm in the back end. Um, that was really important for me. Um, I also, even from a uh, a personal development and professional development um, perspective, being able to be the instigator of a lot of technology that people wouldn't know about or doing a lot of research and having the contacts and being able to engage with external stakeholders and global stakeholders to be able to say, look, we want to be able to do this too. But, you know, the way that the funding is, you know, presented in, in Australia is very different. The reimbursement um, methodology is very different. So how can we work with you to make it work in our market? And that's what I did for a long, long time. And just sort of escalating some of these. I mean, we are very good at medicine. One thing in Australia and New Zealand in particular is we don't trust a lot of people. So for us, just because it's been successful elsewhere in the world, we like to do our due diligence. So we don't just copy a lot of the time. We we obviously see, yep, it's worked. We're interested in this, but let's just do our little bit of research and our, our little bit of due diligence and make sure that it suits our market and it suits our patient cohort. We don't just take the technology and go, yeah, well, it worked there. Let's just do it. We've never, ever been like that. Yeah. And so it's important to have, you know, that's, that, that's our support from you know external principles and to get have them understand that you know that's what we need to do before we then implement it so being able to facilitate that was really important for me then moving into sort of my own business I can see a massive skills gaps and in fact there are some organizations within the medtech and pharma industry that we partner with that are doing a skills gap analysis and actually looking at developing programs we are finding that we have a lot of people with a lot of clinical and scientific skills, but they have no business acumen. And um, I, I'm currently in the process of, of publishing a sales workbook, not a no, sales book, but an actual workbook to help develop skills in not just medical sales, in, in all sorts of sales. But these days you need to be a, a business generalist. You need to have some kind of business skill if you are going into sales and, and working sort of in that environment. You can't just be a product specialist anymore. But what also then happens is then you've got the other end of the spectrum where you have, you know, executives and leadership teams that run businesses really well but don't understand the technology of the business or the pot of gold of in in a in a in a, in a product that they're sitting on and so don't know how to translate that to the market so there's this massive massive gap and we identify that and for me that's really important for my business because not only does it develop people within the industry, and this is not you know, replacing people or, or employing more people, this is developing the skills of the existing workforce and being able to them to diversify as well. But then once they have that development, then the products can engage with other areas of medicine and other patients and other consumers and other customer segments and you know, diversify the market segment as well, where they never would they never would have had that skill to do that before so again it's a similar it's a pattern where i moved out of clinical into commercial to broaden the opportunity of what i could do or what oncology could offer in the country i guess now the business is 
you know, broadening the skills and developing the skills to be able to have that technology available for a lot more people who would benefit it. But again, in the back end, working with the businesses, not on the front line. Beautiful. And I think um, it's really important to point out as well that not only are you doing work within the healthcare space, but I mean, we, we've worked together and we're not yeah. in healthcare. Um, and you've been doing work with a lot of other businesses in helping them to think outside the box. How um, do you find or what, what do you find is the most effective way for organisations to bridge the gap between technology and business now that you've spent time in both sides? Yeah, look, it's... Um... It's really important, and yes, uh, and and unfortunately, fortunately for me, I guess, but unfortunately, there's not a lot of me. There's not a lot. There aren't a lot of people out there that have that 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 skill set that goes from clinical into business, but then being still still maintaining the skills. So a lot of people would transition from clinical to business and then forget everything they've done clinically and it's just business where mm. I have made sure that I've kept the the entire spectrum of, of skill um you know updated and 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 relevant to me and, and, and to the business. So um what one thing I, I find for those that want to yeah, as you say, bridge the gap. And that's actually what we, we say. We're bridging the gap between technology and business is engage in a specialist or engage, do a, a small business course or engage in someone that can, and whether it is, you know, getting some external, um, you know, help or external, have someone that, you know, can immerse themselves in the business and say, right, this is what you do well. This is what you do not so well, but there's you know, lots of room for improvement. Um, and then, you know, en engage with them to be able to put a process together or put structure together. And I did, and every I find every business is different. Yeah. Um, as far as there, there are some, you know, business courses that that people can do. What I find with that though is that it then again, um, it just stimulates the business side. It doesn't stimulate both sides it doesn't stimulate the medical business side so i i'm putting together my own program to be honest again i've i've identified a gap in 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 you know the teachable so to speak um where i'm putting together um you know relevant information in fact i did a workshop on the weekend it actually was for a surgical group and they've got a very young very dynamic lovely um sales team and they've been put on lots of sales training because they've identified that they have a gap there. Mm -hmm. um, and they've said every time they've been on sales training, 90% of it is, is irrelevant. And that's what I found with myself and found with when I was putting my sales teams and my you know operations teams on courses that a lot of it wasn't. And, and that's it's almost finding you know, particular areas that are, it's, and it's a niche area, and then adapting the processes to that area. But you know, to answer your question, if something that's sort of a little bit, not going to say a quick fix, but something that people can engage in, just, you know, there are some just basic and not accounting courses or finance courses, but just business acumen courses that might be, you know, one day a week, or that might just be a couple of days, just even to learn the terminology of business and how to then integrate that into what you actually do. But we we actually specialize in that. And we, yeah, like I said, we stimulate both, both sides. 
I think it's um, a good case in point that um, I've done a lot of workshops and courses and things as well. And I think the challenge sometimes with these business courses or just some courses in general is you, you sometimes need someone to handhold you and actually executing. Um, and one of the things that we haven't mentioned yet is you are a, a, an executive coach at Rare Birds, Inspiring Rare Birds, which is an American Express backed initiative, which is excellent. So I think that, you know, with some of the work we've done together, we've, you know, we've read, we've read the best way to do sales but then you've helped us to identify a way to actually put put it into practice because myself and my team we're not sales experts we're consultants that focus on problem solving and you know process improvement and things like that but um understanding that part so trying to wear the hat of a salesperson as well as a ceo and a number of other things so i'm interested to know how did you um how did you come along? How did you become part of Inspiring Rare Birds as an executive coach? And um, how has that sort of experience shaped, I guess, the ongoing mentoring and work that you do with people like, like myself and others? So, yeah, um, Inspiring, Inspiring Rare Birds is a great organisation. And um, it was actually someone recommended it to me, a- another another coach, actually, a, um, a, 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 another leadership coach that's part of Mentor Walks. And um, because I have always, always done coaching, um, there's always been a teaching part of everything I have done from really day one, um, even in the clinic with, you know, registrars and other just, that's just something that I actually love doing. So there's always been that aspect um, to me. And so, yeah, they said to me, I think you, you'd be really good. So I contacted Joe Burston, who's the CEO of Inspiring Rare Birds. And, and, uh, she said, yep, absolutely. And, um, one thing that they did mention was they very rarely ever get sales coaches. And quite often it is takes, you know, they have this very particular and, and a very, um, very ingenious actually way of matching their mentees and their mentors and they quite often say that it takes a couple of weeks because they want to make sure that the relationship is perfect and they and the skills of the mentee and the mentor are complementary because you know both the mentee and mentor need to get out of it especially the mentee it's really important that they're developing their skills and getting out of it you know what they expect plus more and um but Obviously, you came along and wanted some sales help. And, of course, I'm a sales executive coach. And within 24 hours, we were sort of matched, you know, which was fantastic. And I wouldn't have it any other way. I mean, the relationship that we we have now is is brilliant. And what I I noticed, and and speaking with Joe and and Gabrielle also, is that there is a big gap and a big hole of – um, sales executives that want to coach and teach sales. Mm. And I don't know whether it's because salespeople are busy, uh, which, you know, they are, or they don't want to share some of their skills. I, or they, they, they I don't know. It, it's, it's unusual because you don't find very many. Um, one thing with me is even in the, with the business that I do now, once I implement a strategy or I do a workshop or, or do work with a, a business, and, and this can be anywhere in any any area, in any industry, like you said, it's not just medicine. Um, I do do a lot of handholding and I do make sure that the business is comfortable and with 
what they've been taught and there's competencies as well that need to be done to make sure that I'm happy with the, the level of, of integration. But what's important for me is that, you know, it's sustained. So when I walk away, I've taught the business how to operate differently and, and more optimally. I'm not one of these people people where I want to be relied on. I, I and, and in a lot of con consultant groups, do they do do that, where if I've done my job properly and I've immersed myself properly in the business, then I can walk away happily and see these, you know, these businesses just, you know, thrive and, and, and be successful. So it's also putting in, a, in, in programs and putting in structures and frameworks that are sustainable. They're not just there for the minute. They're not just there for, you know, even six months, they're, 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 they're there for years. Um, but with my coaching, and this is what happens, if I do some sales work with a team, I then do one-on-one -on -one coaching afterwards. So for instance, this group that I did the workshop with, so the entire team, we sat there, we did a, a workshop on the Saturday. We went through a lot of detail. We went through a lot of gatekeeper work because they're dealing with very... Um, very strong personalities in the medical industry. So quite often, I mean, no is the most used word in, in sales. That's what I say. But they have to say yes sometimes, otherwise no one would be in business. So, you know, it's, it's learning the techniques of getting past the gatekeeper and making sure that you get the yes and, and not your competitor. Um, but what I then do is this workshop doesn't just stop. I then conduct one-on-one -on -one coaching, sales coaching individually. So I look at their character strengths. And Fatima, you did your character strengths profile we as did. well. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, which is very important because not only do you need to, you want to be successful in sales, you need to be comfortable and successful in sales. And if I'm giving you a framework or some tools, it needs to play to your strengths. Otherwise, it's not sustainable and you won't be comfortable doing it yeah. and people can tell when salespeople are uncomfortable mm -hmm. so i i continue the process with businesses to then um work from a sales perspective to each of the individual strengths so it's not just do a sales course walk away and that executive coaching that i do that part of it i find is really really important for my clients and for the businesses that I work with, because that's when you really consolidate everything that you've learned into a sustainable framework yeah. um, that they will then use, I hope, for the rest of their sales career. Yeah, definitely. Well, we, we've definitely been using some of the stuff that we've talked about early on as well, yeah. um, which has been great. Um, I like to say that no in sales means next opportunity. Um, that's the optimist in me. <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. Sometimes and the one thing I say, yeah, absolutely. And no, and no doesn't always mean, well, you're right. Now, let's say I agree with you, next opportunity, but it doesn't mean leave that opportunity and move on to the next one. It's yeah. another opportunity with that same client or that same customer because at the touch points, people aren't silly and people know what they want. And, you know, they say now, you know, 60% of, of the sales process is, is already done. Customers know what they want. They've done their research. They've done their due diligence. So you, yeah. even whether it's cold calling or not, they already know about the product. So it's, it's this is, you know, you've got to, the old school selling, everyone needs to sort of forget about and actually put in, in, in the trash can, mm -hmm. you know, because that's, that, that doesn't work anymore. And that's why I'm very behavioral based and I'm psychology driven. So I use always say, you know, I'm, I'm a psychologist 
psychology-driven sales strategist because it is using behaviors and it is using patterns Mm -hmm. very much into you know patterns of speech conversational rhythm volume and pitch being able to align yourself with the customer but that's the one thing is yeah um they say say no okay sometimes gatekeepers need 15 touch points before you actually engage with the person that you want so yeah yeah, you're right that no is next opportunity to try and get a yes yeah and then you might get you know 10 no's yeah at some stage someone gets a yes yeah so it's learning those skills to make sure that you're the one that they say yes to yeah, definitely. I think um, the the uh, the famous Tim Ferriss uh, likes to say, "Get the gatekeepers." Get, so get in there with the person you're trying to reach before the gatekeepers get on board. So typically, the gatekeepers are a lot of the executive assistants. So That's call right. at eight a.m. before the executive assistants start. You might actually get the person you're trying to yeah. get to make the decision. But um, but yeah, I've learned that we definitely need to be talking to the decision makers because That's right. Small business and, and one thing I. Absolutely. And one thing I always say, and, and, and a lot of people get shocked when I say this, is when if you are ringing and you do get the executive assistant, ask for the person by name. Don't just say, oh, hi, you know, I'm, I'm Leanne and I'm from Leanne Elledge Consulting and I'm looking to speak to someone, you know, hopefully, you know, ABC to talk about this. No, 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 no. Say, hi, my name's Leanne Elledge from Leanne Elledge Consulting. Can I please speak to have authority, take control, lead the conversation. The more you come across as an expert, the more that you come across not arrogant, I don't deal with arrogance or tolerate arrogance whatsoever, um, and you come across as being, as I say, um, politely persistent, mm-hmm. the less um, there is an opportunity for the gatekeeper to question you yeah, because you come across as the the you know, knowledgeable as the expert as someone that this person the decision maker actually needs to speak to so you ask for them by name you ask for them in a certain manner and and hopefully you know it, it reduces the number of questions that you get asked by by the gatekeeper and that works really well but it takes practice yeah absolutely Absolutely. So how can people get more involved with what you do? Um, should they go to your website or is it something specific that you'd like them to, to look for? Yeah. I mean, I, um, our website's pretty comprehensive actually. So they can go to um, leanneelledgeconsulting.com. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm also on Instagram I'm also as uh, Leanne Elledge. I'm also on Facebook um linkedin for all those professionals out there in in your team that want to um you know connect happy to have a chat happy to send me a message if you've got any questions um happy to answer some questions also um but yeah you can find me um you know in most places to be honest (laughs) we'll include all of that in the show notes we'll also put a link to the inspiring rare birds program in case anyone is listening is interested in that yes before we finish up, is there anything else that you'd like to share with our listeners, a call to action, a piece of advice or a question to ponder today? Oh, look, I a couple of things. Um, I would like the guys to keep their eyes out uh, for this, the workbook that I'm putting out because I honestly think it will help a lot of people within the sales and business industry. There's something that I I'm that is really important to me in in sales is you know, there's three areas. There's having 
a good mindset, having a good skill set, and then having a great toolkit to execute. And that's all part of, of the way that I operate. And the other thing also is, you know, there people talk about, you know, doors opening and doors closing and having opportunity and all this sort of stuff. But you know, never undervalue yourself. Um, never ever let anyone say that you're not as good as what you are. And if there are doors that are there and there are there are opportunities, the doors might open. You never know, but you need to have the courage to step through it. So even if there is an opportunity that presents itself, really have a look at it and think about, you know, what step through that door, what's on the other side. Don't just have the door open and leave it ajar. You know, step through the frame. You know, sometimes it's it's it may not be a great decision, but unless you step through it, it could be the best decision of your life in terms of building your career, meeting and networking people with people, um, understanding what you can do to, you know, um, create more success, create more development opportunities. There, there, there's so much out there. And one thing in particular, as a coach, I say, unless you give it a go, and as, as you know, my I say think outside the box because all the cool stuff happens on the outside. Everything happens in the areas that takes us out of our comfort zone and we're not sure. So again, not sure should, whether I should step through that door. Yeah. Give it a go because, you know, you just... It, it could be your answer to a lot of things. It could open your eyes to a lot of things and it could be the change or the difference that you've been waiting for. So absolutely don't doubt yourself. Just do it. Wow. Make it happen. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. There's a lot of a lot of good that can come outside that box when you think about it. So there's some comfort inside, but on the outside, there's amazing things can happen. So yeah, yeah, very well said. Thank you so much for joining us on the podcast. We are really appreciate. It. I'm sure that everybody is going to be um, able to get a lot of value from what you've discussed with us today, and we'll include a lot of things in the show notes. But um, once again, thank you so much for joining, and I look forward to continue catching up in our sessions in coming yeah. weeks. Thanks for team. It's been my absolute pleasure and um, yeah, really enjoyed speaking to you as we always do. Um, but talking on a little bit of a different level and being able to sort of connect this way has been fantastic. And I really do hope your listeners um, get a lot out of this and, um, and, you know, just even if it's just inspiration and, you know, and, and some confidence and support, you know, that, that to me is, is fabulous. So yeah, thank you again. You're very welcome. Thanks, guys. You've been listening to Agile Ideas. See you again next time. Thank you so much for listening to this podcast. Please share this with someone or rate it if you enjoyed it. Don't forget to follow us on social media and to stay up to date with all things Agile Ideas. Go to our website, www.agilemanagementoffice.com. I hope you've been able to learn, feel, or be inspired today. Until next time, what's your agile idea?